Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. We are going to dive into the opportunity for true sustainable business growth today. What are the leadership dynamics and the influence that a leader of a, if it's a young, growing organization, how can that exceptional leadership really make a difference and sustain a consistent track of revenue growth? And especially if you think about a business that is growing fast and maybe reaching $1 million or more in revenue, but there can be a plateau. And how do we overcome that plateau? And we're going to get right into that with a passionate expert who is working with those business owners today to do exactly that. Brett Gilliland is a founder and CEO of Elite Entrepreneurs, and his company specializes in giving those $1 million plus business owners the knowledge, processes, and tools to grow to $10 million and beyond. Brett is an expert in organization development, leadership, and strategy. He spent 10 years helping Infusionsoft grow from $7 million in annual revenue to over $100 million. And he was very involved in their leadership uh, framework there. I really want to dive in and get some of those best practices and perspectives on how leaders make the difference in driving that sustainable growth. Brett, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. I'm excited to be here. And I love what you're doing to help business owners get some access to things that will really be helpful to them. So I've got to ask you this question. What originally sparked your passion to focus on helping entrepreneurs succeed? Well, I, I want to keep this as brief as I can, but I, I was one of those guys that worked at a big company, or a couple of big companies, and I had all these desires. I was, I was young and full of energy, and I thought, I'm going to help these companies be great companies with great cultures and winning teams. And and I realized in those really massive organizations with over 100,000 people that it's just really hard to turn those ships. And so I, I went to where I could help business owners be great from the start instead of trying to fix big organizations. And I uh, started consulting small businesses and, and helping them set up shop in an effective way. And uh, as I was doing that, I came across that, that Infusionsoft company that you mentioned in the introduction. And I, I, I jumped back in and went to work with them and helped them grow. So that's kind of how, to, how I got into it. But I, I just love entrepreneurship because they're the ones creating value in our world. And they have such a huge impact or there's a ton, ton of potential to create big impact. And they just get stuck on some, on some fairly predictable things that we can help them with. So that's how I got started was stubbing my toes in big, big companies and thinking this isn't the best way. I want to go help small businesses figure this out the right way from the start. And because you were on that ride yourself, I mean, you lived it, right? 7 million to over a hundred million. So that's got to allow you to really bring some credibility. And because you have that 
personal experience with that. Well, that helps a ton, right? And that's actually how my business got started at Elite Entrepreneurs. We we had tens of thousands of small businesses who were using our our software at Infusionsoft, and they saw how quickly we were growing. They saw our amazing team. They kept asking us, like, where are you finding all these people? This is incredible. And uh, as we hired hundreds and hundreds of amazing people and, and scaled an awesome culture, they were like, how can you, like, can you start teaching us this stuff? This is the stuff that's tripping us up. We don't know how to do the company building work. So that's how it started. Well, we live in really interesting times, obviously a, a lot of opportunities, but there are some challenges. From your perspective, what makes founding and growing a business today more challenging than maybe it was even, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Uh, you're right. Things are, things are increasingly complex. I think what makes it more challenging today is the speed at, with, at which things move, right? The information moves yeah. so quickly. Uh, real time is, was, was an idea that we had decades ago, and that's, that's upon us. Like Things just happen so fast. And so for business owners today who want to start and grow something meaningful, they have to know how to, how to handle the increasing uh, volume of information and the, the increasing complexity in the number of, of connections and intersections that they, that they do business with. It's just uh, a more complex and faster moving world to live in. Yeah, you know what you're talking about there, not only for the business owners, but Brett, even back to those really large companies that you had experience with earlier in your career, it's the same challenge for them too. So if I'm a, a senior business leader, really large corporate environment, I'm dealing with huge volumes of data. How do I make sense of it? Um, there's the real-time aspect, expectations for decision-making, execution, move faster, uh, but use intelligence to do that. So I would say not only for the the corporate environments, obviously, but then back to these business owners, small growing businesses, they're all kind of dealing with the same thing, which is potentially data overload. But then how do we leverage the data that could actually be a real positive in terms of making more intelligent business decisions? You're right, Dan. Uh, and another complicating factor is that the, the workforce that our small business owners are dealing with today, um, without getting into the generational conversations that, that happen frequently, but just the, just the fact that more and more people are are interested in this remote work, um, gig economy, right? Like contractor side hustle kind of stuff. I think it's harder and harder to build a really great team that that works in an office together. That that sort of thing is just different unless you're a local service provider with with you know a brick and mortar presence. It's just a different world. Yes, definitely. So you work with so many business owners. What are some of the common mistakes you see first time or younger entrepreneurs make when they're trying to drive that growth? Um, and, and it's not limited to first time or younger entrepreneurs, but I appreciate the question. It's any any business that hits one of those plateaus that you mentioned earlier, they just don't realize that the things that got them to that point are not going to get them to the next point. And they figured that out when they had to figure out how to generate enough leads consistently to grow. They figured that out when they had to figure out how to fulfill on their product or service uh, at, at a larger scale. And then they have to start figuring out some new challenges around leadership. So I would say that the very first thing 
that a business owner has to do that's getting stuck is is get him or him or herself out of the the core delivery of the machine, right? Like when they're so so connected to how this thing runs, it, that's the limiting factor for them. And they they hit a, a a big plateau, a big wall actually. They're like, we can't get over this because there's only so much time in a day and only so much energy from that business owner that's super connected to how everything works. Yeah. And obviously, you know, going from zero to 1 million is a big deal in and of itself, right? You've got to solve a lot of problems around some scaling. You've got to figure out how to bring in the right resources, the staffing, and and try to create that cohesion in doing that. But again, based on your experience, there seems to be this unique plateau or headwinds that you hit once you get to that 1 million mark. Can you dive into that a little bit more in terms of what some of those key headwinds are? Yeah, we actually see this pattern on the ones and threes of revenue, Dan. And it kind of makes sense if you allow yourself to think about tripling the business from 100,000 to 300, you've tripled. From 300,000 to a million, you've tripled again. From 1 million to 3 million, 3 to 10, and so forth. Every time you triple the output of that that business, now that business is, is tapped out at what it can do until it solves the challenges of the next gear. I like to think about um, riding a multi-speed bicycle. You start out in a gear that's comfortable and natural for starting out. And then pretty soon, it doesn't matter how hard you're pedaling, there's only so much output, only so much yield that gear will produce. And then if you'll shift gears, now the same amount of energy or even less energy will yield similar or more output. And that's that analogy is amazing. Uh, I wish it were as simple as shifting that gear with the, on yeah. a bicycle in a business, but you got to learn some things. And that biggest shift right around a million is that you've started to build some complexity in the team and you have to stop being the, the learner and doer of everything as the business owner. And you have to start becoming a leader. So you've got to set a vision. You've got to build a team. You have to align. You've got to organize work and align effort. Like these are things that were much easier when there were three or four of us and we could just coordinate quickly. But now there are there are some there's some systems and processes to start to put in place uh, around planning and execution to both deliver today's results and make sure we're building the future for this business. Yeah, you're really talking about an evolution of the skill set of that founder. They need to evolve as that business grows. And do you find, Brett, when you're coming in? and offering uh, your advice and counsel. Do you get a lot of pushback? Is there sometimes ego gets in the way because it's like, look, I got this thing off the ground and you know we're on our way and I'm not sure I really want to listen to the outside perspective. What, what's the dynamic that you find when you're trying to come in and help? Yeah, I, I don't think, for the most part, I'm not finding a bunch of egomaniacs, but you're, you're, you're right. You hit on something important, Dan. The ego shows up more like my identity is wrapped up in this thing. And I know how every inch of this business works. I put it together, right? Like I built it from scratch. And when something goes wrong, I am uniquely qualified to be able to go in and and troubleshoot and make it right. And there's there's kind of a trust issue in letting go of that to somebody else. And so what we have to do is separate the identity of the business from the identity of the business owner. And that can be kind of challenging at first. There's some mindset pieces there. But once they're willing to do that, 
Then there's some skill set things that they can learn how to start to organize work in a way that's clear ownership or clear responsibility that I'm going to hand off to other people. And then I can start to trust in, in stages at first, small steps, I can start to trust that somebody else can do that. And as I witness, as I experience that somebody else is doing it as well as, or in many cases, even better than I was doing it, I start to go, wow, this, this, this might be possible. So it, it, it is challenging, though, for many business owners to let go of that identity that is so intertwined with the business. Yeah, you brought up something really interesting, that uh, blurring of the lines between personal identity, business identity. There's that really overused phrase, which is, uh, it's not personal, it's business. But if you talk about founding a business, there is that personal element, right? I don't think you can really totally separate it. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said that any better, Dan. That's You're absolutely right. It is extremely personal. Every aspect of that customer experience or that client or member or, you know, patient experience, whatever, whatever you call those people who buy your products or your services, that is, is like sacred ground for that business owner, right? It's like, this is my livelihood. And, and to give it to somebody else just feels riskier than anything else I've done, which is, which is ironic, right? Because these business owners have risked everything to make this happen down to their personal finances, their health their relationships. They've risked everything to make this happen. And then the biggest risk for them at this point is handing that off to somebody else. They just feel like it might come crashing down if they do. Now, you touched on something earlier when you talked about the the new workforce that these business owners um, would need to uh, go and recruit and retain. So recruiting and retaining talent is so critical for business success what are some of the different approaches or, or mindset that's needed today when you think about the recruitment and retaining uh, of those employees? Yeah, great question, Dan. And I'm going to back up to something that I sort of touched on briefly, but this transition from scrappy founder, superhuman entrepreneur, right? That transition from that to capable business building CEO uh, involves a big leadership shift, right? They have to learn how to be a capable leader. And that starts with setting a powerful vision. Uh, and, and I like Jim Collins' definition of vision. There's three elements to that. It's not a vision statement. He just says, setting the vision is the number one responsibility of every great leader. And so as you're making that transition from entrepreneur to capable business building CEO, you have to learn how to set the vision to be a great leader. And that those three elements are purpose, values, and mission, okay? Super clear on why we do this every day, super clear on how we operate with one another or, or our way of being, our code of conduct, if you will, and then super clear on the specific what, by, when mission that we're up to right now. And with that foundation in place, now I can be way more effective when I go to post a job and say, hey, we need somebody to join our team. Here's what we're all about. We have this powerful purpose. You know, we're passionate about this. Um, here are our set of values. If you relate to these values, if you live these values already, you're going to fit in here. You're going to love working here. And here's the specific thing that we're up to together. By the way, we're assembling the team that has the right skill set to do that. If you match on purpose, values, and mission, you should come check this out. And uh, that that 
come from, that place to, to start, that intentionality when we go to hire does a, a lot to ensure not only a short-term fit, but the long-term uh, team, the, the team dynamic and the team cohesion, the unity that can be built on a team like that is really powerful if you start with a place of strong intention from the beginning. Yeah, that's really important because it seems like today, again, with the added pressure, the intense competition out there of chasing after, uh, there's usually high competition to get the really top talent. It seems like there's a motivation or a tendency to want to jump right into the specifics of the job description. Uh, people that are hiring seem to go there first. And what you're saying is that's important, but before you get there, make sure you're clear in terms of your purpose, that you can articulate it in terms of vision purpose uh, that provides that foundation to get not only someone who has the skills to do the job, but is a great fit with what you're all about. That's exactly right. And um, you know, uh, Dan, you have a lot of experience in this as well, but a lot of, a lot of, we'll, we'll call them business owners, but any hiring manager out there who has a need, and, and usually the need is like a burning need, right? Like I needed this person yesterday or last week or last quarter. And so we're, we're anxious to get it done. We're super busy. And so what do we do to post that job? We go type on some job board. We, we type in the job title. We search up several different postings and we sort of grab pieces and parts from different postings and we slam them together. I call that the Frankenstein job posting. And, and we put it out there. And then we, we wonder why in the world we can't find great people because we don't really articulate exactly who we're looking for. We grab other people's words and slam them together and just get it done in the name of like efficiency. And then, and then we kind of cross our fingers and hope we get a great candidate coming in. Uh, whereas if we do it the way that we, we were talking about with being really intentional with our purpose, our values, our mission from the start of that job posting, now we can start to create something that's more like a, a talent tractor beam effect where the right people are coming in because they're attracted to this, uh, and I call it a culturefied job posting instead of a Frankenstein job posting. It's, it's way more effective. And um, every time I watch business owners change the way that they attract and, and keep people, it just levels up their team completely. And they start to they start to wonder why why did I ever do it that old way? And anyway, it just leads to greater levels of of fun at work, great places to work, uh, better results. Out, out, the outcomes all around are just better when you when you. But you got to start from the beginning, and that's mm -hmm. that's uh, what gets most of us in trouble. Yeah, and and the new generation of professional workers, right, that are entering, they're looking to start their career. The other thing that's been very evident the last couple of years is they're holding their potential employers to a higher standard in terms of their expectations. So when you, you talk about having a clear articulation of what your values are, that new generation, they have expectations, not just about, okay, what's my compensation? Uh, what do you expect in terms of working hours? What's my work environment? Do I have flexibility to work at home? But what do you stand for? What is your purpose? And is it, uh, and many of them are thinking about social responsibility and really wanting to be at a place that really fits what they're looking for. 
And if you can't articulate it, it's going to be really hard to get those people into your organization. Very well said, Dan. Very well said. Um, many of us make the mistake, again, out of in the name of like quickly trying to get this done, we make the mistake of entering the marketplace and competing on a transactional level, right? Here's, here's this, you know, I'm looking for somebody who has these skill sets with this experience and I'm willing to pay this much money. And, and we skip all of that meaningful stuff that our, our newer generation is craving for. I mean, they don't, they don't find meaning in school. They don't find it at home. Uh, fewer people are, are actively religious. They're, you know, they're not finding it, you know, on the weekends at church. They're looking for connection to something that's more meaningful than information that's hitting them constantly on their cell phone, right? Uh, and if you can provide that, if you can articulate it well, the way that you you described, then you know your heads and head and shoulders above the competition out there that's just trying to put a help wanted sign out digitally and hope that people come. Absolutely, and I've had a lot of conversations with company founders on this podcast, and one of the things they say has uh, been really hard for them is not only defining the culture that they want to create but then sustaining that very healthy, thriving culture over time. Do you have some thoughts on, on the keys to do that from a, from a culture standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, it starts with the very intentional work up front that you have a foundation for that culture. Culture is not built on perks. So if you think it's you know ping pong tables and break rooms and catered meals, all that stuff's exciting and it adds fun to the workplace but that's not the foundation of your culture. And so if you do this purpose values mission work that we talked about and then you and then you your hiring process or your selection process is designed around that, that's that's the beginning. The next part's almost equally as important and it, and it's what I refer to as an onboarding process. That's not a unique term for me, but um that's that's what's commonly referred to as that time when they first start. Well, a lot of us will just call it an orientation. We'll do some, you know, some required new hire paperwork. Um, it might show them where the break room is or where the restroom is and where their where their seat is, and and you know, welcome them. We're excited they're there, and it's okay. Jump in. It's time to go. And we don't really set them up for success. Uh, and so, in order to maintain or build this culture that we were talking about, the onboarding process is a key point in time for us to establish what this culture is all about. So you had an opportunity in the job posting, but now you have, have an opportunity to really dive deep into what are these values that, that we're talking about. Uh, you get a chance for the founder of the company to spend some time with them on the origin story of the business and, and what the purpose is. Uh, you get a, a chance for some key team members or some other leaders to come in and, and talk about the, the strategy of the company. And, and maybe there's an opportunity for a new hire to sit with other team members. Um, I used to call this ride the trains where they're, they're just on ride alongs, where they're listening in on sales calls, even if they're not in sales, they're listening in, they're listening into what that's like. They're listening into a, a setup or implementation call um, or the, you know, the getting started process with that client or customer. They're listening in on support or service calls. So, in a ride-along fashion, they're getting to know people, they're connecting with people, they're learning about the business, 
And they're really connecting to the culture of the business in an experiential way that just sets them up with, with a, a much higher probability of success in that team and in that culture. So I, those are some getting started points. There's, I, I could talk about this for days, Dan. Uh, yeah. I, I can tell you get a little, I get excited about it and I need to shut up so you can talk. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. It's about being visible and available. Uh, and yeah, so, so critical. And I know you were very involved in, in driving the leadership model at Infusionsoft. Can you share your thoughts on what truly separates exceptional leadership from just good enough? Yes. Yes. Uh, and you mentioned that we did have a leadership model not every small business needs to put the effort in, make the investment to create a leadership model. But you should have an idea of what good leadership looks like to you, okay? A lot of this just starts with have an idea ahead of time. Be intentional. Know what you want before you go looking for it or you start developing to it. And so exceptional leaders, in my opinion, right at the heart of that leadership model was the word care. And the care was centered in two things. The care was uh, aimed at the purpose of the business or the cause, and it was aimed at the the people, the team. And I find that the leaders that are set apart from all the others have a genuine connection with the people that they lead. If you think about leaders in your life, Dan, who've made a difference for you, I have to imagine that it wasn't all technique. It wasn't all orders. It, w- it wasn't all, you know, training. It, w- it, it, it came from a place of that person genuinely cared about me. I felt that I knew that. And because of that, I was open to being led more powerfully by that person. Um, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did I guess that right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say the one word that kind of emanates from all that, Brett, is authentic. I, when I think about the leaders that had the greatest impact, they were, they were real uh, and they were authentic, which actually meant that we could build true trust over time. And that became really powerful. That's the currency we want to deal in. We don't want the transactional currency of salary and bonus. I mean, all of that stuff is required, right? That's, that's part of employment. That's, that's, they have to make a living. But that currency of trust that's built on those authentic, genuine care types of relationships, that's where you can really have influence on people. So I would say that's the number one thing that sets apart great leaders from the rest. And then, you know, like I said, we, we had an idea of what good leadership looked like. And it, it was all about setting the vision, helping that team member of that team have total clarity about what we were doing and why, how we were organizing work. Um, it was about building the team, not just getting the right people on the team, but developing the team members we have, unlocking additional potential in them. And then the third part of it was get the resources, right? Get the results, make sure that we have the financial runway and that we can deliver the results that our team or that person needs to deliver. So that's the way we look at leadership, genuine care at the center, uh, but set the vision, build the team, deliver results. Those were the kind of the three competency mm-hmm. areas of leadership that we, that we teach. Now, I know you're giving business advice all the time. I'm going to flip the script, Brett, and ask you, what's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? Thank you for flipping that for me. I like reflecting on this from time to time. 
Um, one of the, the biggest things for me is to get outside help. And so best business advice for me is surround yourself with people who can help you see things you can't see and or who have done things you haven't done or you're trying to do and, and just get help. Quit, quit thinking that because you're so capable that you'll just figure it out on your own uh, because that's the slow path to get in, getting it done. So I just, I just entered into a, a new mentoring relationship at the start of the year, um, actually a couple months ago. And, and it's the best thing ever. <laughs> it's like yeah. I, joined, I joined a CEO group for myself and I, and I entered a mentoring relationship. And both of those things have helped me see perspective outside of my own head. And it's just, it's fantastic. So that, that would be the best advice I ever got in business. And when you think about the future, What's making you optimistic? Oh, I'm optimistic because I know that there are uh, entrepreneurial business owners out there who love to see, identify, and tackle problems that the rest of us, are, are, you know, sometimes just sit on the sidelines and say, wow, I can't believe somebody did that, right? But I'm optimistic about the future because I, I have children. I see how smart and capable they are, and they're, they're growing up in this fast-moving, digitally um, dr driven world. And, and they just do things that took me a long time to figure out, you know, it's kind of intuitive for them. So I, I, I think the rising generation is super capable. And I think entrepreneurs are the ones that are going to help us solve all the problems that we're going to face in the future. Well, Brett, we've covered a lot of ground in our conversation. Do you have any other final advice for entrepreneurs that are looking to build that sustainable growth? Yeah, my final advice would be, well, I, first I want to say I, I honor and respect entrepreneurs. I, they are the value creators in our world. They are the ones who have sacrificed so much to do what they've done. And it's a, it's a shame when their creation gets stopped or stifled by common challenges that, that other people have figured out. So my, my final advice would be don't go it alone. Uh, find peers, find mentors, find people who have walked that path and and get some help. There's no shame in it. You, it it's, not, it's not about how smart you are or, or how capable you are. You are smart. You are capable and you are creating tremendous value. And it's a shame for what, what you've built to be constrained by your own abilities. Get some help, get some outside perspective, and you'll be able to go further. Very wise words. Well, Brett, thanks again for joining and sharing your personal journey, your perspective into how to sustain growth, go through and over any sort of barriers to ongoing success. Thanks again for joining. Dan, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And a reminder to all of our listeners to please continue to give the gift of feedback to help make this podcast even better. It's so easy to do. Go out, rate, and review. You can do that on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.